The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. This past weekend, I was doing a, a house project um, in the, the family room, and my kids were there watching um, a cartoon. They're watching a show. And uh, halfway through the show, the characters spontaneously broke into song. Now, by my estimation, there are two basic types of movies or shows. Uh, there's the type of movies or shows where characters break into song spontaneously, and then there are those where explosions happen, okay? There's only those two categories in my mind. I usually prefer the latter, but will occasionally toler- tolerate the former, characters spontaneously singing. So they were broke into song, and one character was giving the other character advice. The, mu- the music swells up, and this one character starts singing. And the advice that this character gave to the other character is very common. It wasn't really shocking. It wasn't surprising, especially for like a, a children's show or children's movie. This is the type of, of advice you hear common. Like if you could boil down the moral of the majority of our children's shows or majority of our children's movies, if they're trying to give an encouraging, uplifting piece of advice, this is kind of the quintessential version of that. So let me give you uh, the advice that this one character was giving the other character. And I'll just read you the lyrics of uh, this song. Um, it went like this. Follow your dream, wherever it goes, it always works out, why, nobody knows. Follow your dream, you're wanting me to sing it, like I'm sensing you're actually (laughs) wanting me to sing it, but I'm not going to do that, okay, I know, I know, yes, some of you are smart enough to know that's actually good, okay, why, nobody knows, follow your dream, never lose faith, second verse, A dream is what you hear when alone in the dark. It whispers to you from deep in your heart. Be true to yourself. Give it a try. So this one character is talking. This is the central advice. uh, Follow your dream. No matter where it goes, you follow it. It will always work out. So follow after your dream. Then the second verse says, well, where does this dream come from when you're all alone in kind of the still quiet place and you can actually hear what's coming up from your heart? That is what your dream is. And so be true to yourself. Be true to that dream that comes up from your heart. So essentially, uh, be true to yourself. Follow your dream. This is like the central kind of message of this episode. And again, like, I would be surprised if this is like a shock to you to hear like this kind of advice coming to our children. In many ways, you could boil down almost any modern children's movie, almost any modern children's show. If they're trying to give like an uplifting piece of advice, it really boils down to that. Follow your dream. Don't give up on your dream. Believe in yourself. Look inside. Believe in your heart. And kind of like this kind of, you know, encouragement for children. You have a dream. Don't give up on it. And, you know, that sounds like, you know, okay, it sounds like that's fine. Like, why not, you know, give something like that to children? I mean, it's uplifting. It helps them, you know, maybe with their self-esteem, you know, so they don't have like, well, nobody believes in me. I've got to give, you know, I, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have any value. And it kind of lifts children up, I think, is, is what's uh, the attempt here. But here's what I want to do. I want to show you a passage of Scripture today that gives a piece of advice that is very contrary to that. But it's exceedingly better. It's more life-giving. It gives far more value to a child. It actually equips them for the reality of life. It's on one hand more realistic, and on the other hand will give them a soaring identity that's grounded and true of themselves like they never dreamed they could have. I want to show you what this this scripture says. And I hope on the other end, 
we have something as parents, as grandparents, as maybe future parents and grandparents, maybe as educators or as counselors or as people who work with children, aunts and uncles, babysitters, we have something exceedingly more life-giving to offer our children than simply follow your dreams. I want you to open with me to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. I want to do something a little bit differently today. I want to take a look at a story in the Old Testament. It's a story of a young man by the name of Joseph. And I'm going to read pretty much all of chapter 37 to you. I want you to hear this this story. It's a really powerful story. And instead of like digging into one or two verses, sometimes especially in the stories of the Bible, if you can just get an overview of an entire story and just see someone's life in like, in like one condensed snapshot, it's so life-giving. And so I want to just show you the beginning of the story, but I want to just then share with you how the story plays out. And I think it's going to be not only equipping for us to know what message to be giving our own children and the children are responsible for it, but it may be healing for many of us as well. So take a look at Genesis chapter 37. We're gonna start in verse one. Here's what it says. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, that's another name for Jacob. Jacob gets his name changed to Israel. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the, gr- to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now let's pause there for a second and just get our, our bearings here. This is a story of Joseph, the son of Jacob. This is what's called the patriarchs. We're in the first book of the Bible. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the patriarchs. Jacob has 12 sons who turn into the tribes of Judah. Their descendants, they become each of the tribes. So you're going to hear names like Reuben and Judah in this story. These are two of the tribes of Israel. But at this point, they're the sons. They're men. One of, the, uh, one of the sons of Jacob, who gets renamed Israel by God, is Joseph. Now, what we learn here is that um, Israel or Jacob had multiple wives. Now, let me just stop for a second and just chase a rabbit trail for a second. Uh, sometimes I hear people say that the Bible teaches it's okay for polygamy, like that polygamy is all right. And let me just pause right here because this story addresses that issue. There are a lot of things that the Bible describes, but many of those things the Bible does not prescribe. 
it says it happened. It doesn't say it should happen. The Bible actually describes things. Maybe people are expecting the Bible is going to be always painting the best case scenario. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible is very, very real and raw. It paints truth. It says what happened. It doesn't write hero stories. It just writes true stories. And so when it's describing what happens with uh, Jacob, Jacob was following, unfortunately, the surrounding culture, took multiple wives, and almost every single time that the Bible is describing that there was polygamy in a family, it always, virtually always shows how broken that was. And if you see what the Bible describes, it always describes deep brokenness in the family, and you already see this. You have a man with multiple wives. One of his wives in particular gave birth to a son in his old age, and this son was named was Joseph. So in relation, Joseph, to his brothers, Joseph is a young man. He's 17. He's not a child, but he's a young man. He's got a lot of life experience that he still needs. His brothers are all grown men. They have families of their own. There are many, many years between them. And there is no secret in this family that Joseph is the favorite. In fact, um, it's not just like everyone denies it, but also everyone knows it's true. It's obvious. They, um, Jacob makes a coat, a kingly coat for Joseph. And we'll find out Joseph is fool, foolish enough to wear it. And to wear it around his brothers. Not a good move. He um, also sends, Jacob sends Joseph to report back on his brothers. He puts this young boy over these grown men as kind of like a manager. That doesn't go very well. And Joseph uh, gives an honest report. It's not a good report, and they hate him. Then Joseph has a dream. Now, when we're talking about a dream, we're not talking like, MLK dream, like he's got like a vision. We're talking like an actual dream. He's asleep, and this dream comes upon him. He has a sense that there's something of prophecy here, and so he decides that he will tell this dream. And the narrator's like, we all know he shouldn't have done that. He says, hey, brothers. He says, we were all uh, pulling grain together. We were binding sheaves of grain in the field, and you'll never guess what happened. My sheaf was raised up above all of your sheaves, and then your sheaves hopped over and started bowing down to my sheaf. Isn't that a cool dream? And they hated him. Now, um, something you should know about Joseph's brothers, okay? They're not like your brothers. Now, you say, I don't know, man. I've got some pretty nasty brothers. Okay, no, no. These guys, they are a really, really, really rough crew. Already, to give you an idea, already they've told the story a few chapters earlier that some men in another town messed, actually one man in that town messed with one of their sisters, and two of them went into the town and killed all the males in the town with a sword. Now, if your brothers are like that, let's talk afterwards. We'll gather around you and provide some prayer support. But that, these guys are, they're a rough crew. They're out in the fields. They just kill people. I mean, it, it, like they're just a rough, rough crowd. So here you have Joseph. At very least, he's real dumb. He's probably not just real dumb. He's, there's probably a lack of wisdom. There's some naivety, and probably there's got to be just some arrogance. He's strolling around in this coat, talking about already there's tension because Jacob likes him more. You'd think he'd be going around trying to diffuse that tension. He's not. He's having dreams. He gets this dream. He thinks it's from the Lord, and he shares it openly with his brothers. His brothers really, really hate him. These are not the type of brothers you want hating you. Here's what happens next. We're going to pick it up in verse 12. Now, his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. 
And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Now, what do you think he was wearing that they were able to see him from far, far away? <laughs> Clearly, he's not dumb enough to actually wear the coat out in the field. No, no, he's not that dumb. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. Yep, he sure did, wore the robe right out into the field. All right, not smart. The robe of many colors that he wore, and, he, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let, let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh." And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Joseph goes out into the field. He seems happily to follow his dad's orders to check on and report back on his brothers. You'd think he'd be like, Dad, I really don't think I should be doing this. But he didn't. He's like, here I am. Let's do this. He not only goes out there, he decides it's a good idea to wear his robe, giving them a long way off to plan what they're going to do to Joseph. And what do they decide to do? You know what? Let's do this. Let's kill him. Let's execute our brother. And we know it's going to make dad upset, so um, we don't want to be mad at us. That would look bad. So let's kill him. We'll kill a wild animal, smear the blood on his robe. And we'll take the robe dipped in blood back to our father, and we'll say, oh, a wild animal killed it. Reuben, the oldest, his plan was, no, no, don't kill him. Just put him in the pit. Just throw him down into the pit. So they throw him down into the pit. And his plan is that he's going to go get, them, get him, save him, and take him back to his brother. Now, Reuben's the oldest. Maybe he's trying to regain favor from his dad, the favor that Joseph has that should be his. But then Judah, another one of his brothers, so merciful, so gracious, so kind and loving to his younger brother Joseph says, look, come on, guys. We're his brother. We can't kill our own brother. We wouldn't make any money off of that. Look, there's this, we could sell him and make some money. Isn't that a much better idea? Come on, let's do that. Reuben's not even around. He won't know. We'll sell him for 20 pieces of silver. That's two pieces each. That's a great plan. So they sell Joseph, and Joseph goes down to Egypt where he gets sold as a slave. Now, I want you to put yourself there in that place where, where Joseph is for a second. I want you to imagine, you know, where where we leave off Joseph here for a second. You know, Joseph obviously lacks some wisdom. Seems like he lacks some humility. He needed some life experience to you know, forge him a little bit. 
But still, I mean, you lose everyone you love. You lose your freedom. You're betrayed by your own flesh and blood, your half-brothers. Unjustly treated. They profit off of your, of your life. You're in the, the, the pit. You're down in the pit. You've been thrown down. Uh, what do you imagine? Joseph pleading while the brothers sit around just there eating dinner. Crying. Weeping. Screaming. How do you imagine him flailing? Grabbing, pushing, pleading while they're dragging him over to these traders who then bind him. Probably drag him. They're not going to like hoist him up on a camel. They're going to drag him the rest of the way to Egypt. Um, what do you imagine that like? How far into the distance, you're Joseph, do you keep screaming and pleading for your brothers not to betray you? How long do the, the traitors tolerate his, his screaming and crying? Like, at what point do they just beat him into silence? Go to that place. You're Joseph, and you've got these dreams. Sheaves of wheat bowing down, stars bowing down, that you felt like were from God. Obviously, you're, you shared them. You've got this, this thought, this ideal, these dreams of what God is going to do, what you felt like what you were holding on to, like how do you process that? The disappointment. I mean, he thought he'd be leading his father's company. Like that's where everything was pointing to. I mean, he's being raised up in a management. He's been given the, the choice position. It's clear when his dad dies, it's not going to be Reuben or any of the other brothers. It will be Joseph over all of his brothers that will lead the whole household, the whole entity, the whole very large, um, wealthy organization, for lack of a better word. Like, you're Joseph, and all of that is fading behind you in the distance, and you are just headed to a foreign land, the land of death, by the way, emblematically in the Old Testament. It's a land of graves. Might as well be dead. His freedom's dead. How do you process the sting of that injustice that you faced? Someone betrayed you and stole every possibility of everything you hoped for happening being able to happen. I want you to enter into that because I believe there are those here that are either walking through disappointment or have to walk through disappointment. You're walking through injustice where someone who shouldn't stole something from you, that you had sunk your desires, your hopes, your plans into. How do you process that? How did Joseph process that? What was his inner thoughts about that? That pain, that sting. You know, the scripture is pretty silent about what his prayers were like, what his screams were like, what his relationship with God was like, if there was one intact. It's pretty silent for a lot of years. What happens next is Joseph goes to, to Egypt and he's purchased, he's owned by a man named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar is the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. That means he's one of the most powerful men in Egypt, which makes him one of the most powerful men in the world. And he, you're not going to mess with this guy Potiphar. He could probably have you killed without anyone caring. So he serves in Potiphar's house, and what does Joseph do? He just serves faithfully, serves with excellence. And it says God was with him blessed what he did. So he started rising through the ranks. And it gets to a place where now Potiphar, one of the most powerful men, puts Joseph in charge of everything under his watch. He runs his whole household, his whole company, so to speak. Joseph uh, is running it. Meanwhile, Joseph's got to put up with something. Potiphar's wife is perpetually trying to seduce him, like every day. 
Every day she makes a pass at him. And he keeps turning her down, turning her down, turning her down. He's trying to live a godly life. And eventually she's had enough. And so she grabs him by the coat. And she says to him, um, you know, you will sleep with me. And he basically just pulls himself out of the coat and runs. And she's left there holding his coat. And she's so humiliated that when Potiphar comes home, she takes the coat and says, that slave that you bought, he tried to rape me. And when I shouted, he left this coat behind. And Potiphar's enraged. Now, captain of the guard, extraordinarily powerful, probably more power than we can appreciate in our modern era. And he believes a slave has taken a, a pass at his wife. What do you think he's going to do? I would think he'd just kill him. But instead, he throws him into a dungeon. And it says that he's, Potiphar's enraged. So that must mean the dungeon he throws him into is actually worse than just killing him. Now, you're Joseph. Where do you go mentally? You're at the right hand of your father. You're betrayed by your own brothers, sold for 20 pieces of silver. You're now carried. You might as well be dead. You're down into Egypt. You're, you're, you're a slave. You work your way up. Now you're actually over the whole household and then once again lied about facing injustice. And now you're even lower. You're down in a dungeon. What do you do? All Joseph did is he just was a faithful prisoner. And it says God was with him and blessed what he did. And slowly the jailer took notice of him and raised him up and had Joseph oversee everyone in the jail. And then one day, two people who serve Pharaoh, the baker and the cupbearer, wind up in the dungeon. So obviously, the one who bakes the bread and the one that serves the wine, if they're both in the dungeon, someone's been poisoned and they don't know who yet. And they're deliberating it, and these two men are there like, uh, what's about to happen? Well, they have dreams, and they're really troubled by them. It's the type of dream where they believe that it must be from God, or in their minds, from the gods. And Joseph comes up and um, says, hey, um, what's going on? Why are you so upset? We hear very few words from Joseph in all of these years. We're talking, this is a span of years. And they said, we've had dreams. Now we get a glimpse of how Joseph's been dealing in his heart. Because I would, I would think if you're Joseph and you've walked away from God and you're angry and you're bitter and you're jaded, Someone says, oh, we had troubling dreams. I would imagine if you're Joseph, you'd say, please don't talk to me about dreams. I don't believe in dreams anymore. I don't want to hear your dreams. I don't want to know about your dreams. I don't do dreams. Dreams are worthless. Dreams are empty. Dreams are meaningless. Let's not talk dreams. Good luck, boys. Come get me if you have something else you want to talk about. Here's what Joseph says. I want you to jump over to chapter 40, verse 8. They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. What does this tell you about where Joseph's at? He doesn't say, I don't believe in dreams anymore. He just said, look, dreams and what they mean, where they're going, it's God's business. What's happened in his heart? He's not given up on dreams. He's not given up on all that. All that he said is, look, dreams belong to God. I'll enter into the mess with you if you want. Tell me your dreams. What are the dreams that you've had? 
What happens, um, they tell Joseph the dreams. You can go back this week and, and read uh, chapter 40. They tell them the dreams. It reveals that one of them is going to be found guilty and executed, and the other one, the cupbearer, is going to be found innocent and be restored to the right hand back to, to Pharaoh. And uh, Joseph says, look, please, if, if either of you are restored, can you please just remember me? The man's restored, starts serving Pharaoh again, and he forgets. Joseph has been betrayed by his brothers. He's been falsely accused, and he's been neglected, wallowing away in a prison. And then one day, Pharaoh has a dream. And he's very troubled by this dream. And he says, I don't know what to do with this dream. And no one can help me with this dream. And no one gives him interpretation to understand this dream. And he's, as he's deliberating, who's going to tell me about this dream? I, I feel like this dream is significant. At that moment, it's two years later. Two years where Joseph accurately interprets a dream, stirred up maybe just enough of an ember of hope and belief and faith to deliver a dream, and it's true. And yet, what does he get for it? Nothing but neglect and silence for two years. No one's in a hurry to help Joseph. But after two years and Pharaoh has this dream, the cupbearer says, wait a minute, I do know of someone that knows about dreams and can interpret them. And then Pharaoh says, well, bring him out. And it says, they have to clean up Joseph. He's scraggly. He's smelly. He, he cannot show up before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, looking the way he does. He smells like the dungeon, looks like the dungeon. He's been wallowing away in the dungeon. They have to clean him up, and they bring him before Pharaoh. And here's what happens. Where's Joseph's heart when it comes to dreams? Genesis 41. Let's pick it up in verse 15. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. This is Joseph's chance. This is the chance where he's been waiting on the Lord. He's been waiting, not pushing his agenda. He's waiting in the dungeon, waiting in slavery, waiting for his opportunity. Now is the chance that he can step up and say, yes, Pharaoh, let me tell you something. Finally, someone needs to hear it. And God, you've put me before Pharaoh. Now is my chance. I do know about dreams. I've been holding on to dreams. I've been waiting on dreams. I've been interpreting dreams. So yes, finally, Pharaoh, you came to the right guy. Joseph, the dream interpreter, you should probably get me out of this, out of this dungeon and keep me around because that's who I am. Is that what he says? Do you think that's what he's going to say? That's not what he says. Verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Do you hear what he said? After all of that, in the silence of his imprisonment and his captivity, in the sting of his injustice, his message to Pharaoh is, you don't need me. You need God. I'm dispensable. His message to him about dreams, dreams are God's business, Pharaoh. But maybe we can help discern what God's doing together. How does the story play out? Pharaoh gives him the dream. Joseph interprets the dream correctly, and the interpretation is there'll be seven years of plenty, which is good news, but the second half of the dream is that there'll be seven years of famine. They need to know that because they need to be storing up. Instead of living large, they need to be storing up in the years of plenty in preparation for the year of famine. Pharaoh says, since God spoke through you, I am going to put you at my right hand. And now Joseph is not overseeing everything in his father's household, not overseeing everything over Pharaoh's, uh, uh, Potiphar's household, not overseeing everything in, in the dungeon. Now he's overseeing everything in Egypt. In other words, he's now... Um, basically the second most powerful man in the world. And they store up grain. 
They're gathering grain in the fields. They're storing it up for seven years. And he not only, God not only uses Joseph to save Egypt, but the surrounding region. And one day, a wealthy household from the surrounding region, from the area of Canaan, come to gather to get wheat from Egypt. Ten brothers. And Joseph hears that there's ten brothers from Canaan. He says, let them come to meet me. And Joseph is there looking very Egyptian and looking very powerful because he is. And ten brothers walk in to get grain, sheaves of grain. And when they see Joseph, they bow down on their faces. Joseph picks them up as the story plays out, tests their character, and eventually brings the entire, his entire family to Egypt and saves their entire family from the famine. See, Joseph heard those dreams and he thought he knew what the interpretation was. He'd oversee Jacob's house. But God's dream for Joseph was exceedingly greater than he could have imagined. What are we telling our children? Can I give you a few things to tell your children? Here's the first one. God dreams over your life. Can you be awestruck by that for a second? Almighty God has dreams for your life. Uh, what, what do we learn the dreams are? Um, well, we learned from um, Cinderella that um, a dream is a wish your heart makes when you're fast asleep. But that's not what dreams are if God's dreaming them. See, God doesn't wish things. God speaks them into existence. He doesn't hope and wonder if things are going to happen. He holds the universe together. God's dreams over your life is not an empty wish. It's a plan that's as sure as the ground you're standing on. Because as sure as he spoke that ground into existence, he has a dream over your life. The almighty God who thought, who thought up galaxies has thought up a dream he has for you. Here's the second thing. God's dreams for you are exceedingly better than anything you could dream up for yourself. We as humanity, we have, we have great dreams. We have great creativity. I mean, we can... We can think up all different types of things. We can, we can write novels and, and movies and TV shows of science fiction of a whole new worlds and new galaxies and new planets and new species and new languages, but we can only think up things within a universe. We can't imagine something other than what God has created. We can, all we can do, in other words, in the extent of our imagination, we can just creatively play in the sandbox he invented. We can't imagine like he can imagine. He imagined the th something called existence. He imagined something like life. He imagined something like a universe. We can't imagine outside those boundaries. He has a far greater imagination, and he's leveraging that for your life. He's authoring a dream for your life, and God only writes masterpieces. He doesn't write some masterpieces and some second-rate novels. And what do we do? We don't write new things. We just plagiarize pieces of other people's stories and hope our story turns out like that. It's plagiarism. He has a dream that is so much better than your dream. So where does that leave us? Here's the third point. Tell this to your children. Quit following your heart and quit believing in yourself. Believe something and follow something exceedingly greater. Please do not tell your children to follow their heart. Please tell your children to follow Jesus. 
please quit asking your children to believe in themselves. Tell your children to believe in God who has a dream over their life. Believe in one who says they'll be, that he will be their heavenly father. Believe in one who came to save them from their sins. Believe in one who authored and created them. Believe in one who loves them more than they could possibly imagine. Believe in one who's dreaming over their life, orchestrating their life, has got a plan to turn everything around for good. Tell them to believe in something so much exceedingly greater than themselves. See, parents, there is a lie. Teachers, administrators, there is a lie. Those of you who are future parents or grandparents, there's a lie. And the lies out there comes from the great liar. It goes something like this. It is more loving to let your children follow their hearts. It's more loving to let them find their own path. It's more loving to let them believe their own truth. It's more loving to not force religion down their throats. And so stand back, let them believe what they want, let them discover it for themselves. Please do not let them find their own path. Please don't let them follow their hearts. Please don't jam religion down their throats, but please, please introduce them to Jesus. What does the scripture say that we should do? It says it this, Ephesians 6, chapter 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. That is a command from God. Fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Not in the tradition of morality, not in the, in the heritage of a religion. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, Jesus Christ, the gospel. Bring them up in the tradition of the one who loves them and died for them and saved them. Men, that is a call on parents, but men, you are called out as fathers. Whether you have your kids every day or you say, no, my ex has them for some of the time. I only get them a couple times a month. Whether you're, you have grown kids, your grandparent, a great-grandparent, a future parent, men, you are called out to raise your children up and to introduce them to a man who is more of a man than you are. His name is Jesus. That's who you're called to introduce unabashedly, unashamedly. Introduce them to a man named Jesus. Make Jesus the hero in your house. And make there be no misunderstanding that as for you and your household, you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard um, a man say, his name is Wes Stafford, the former president of um, Compassion International. He said, Children are wet cement. You make an imprint on them, and it hardens. Parents, there's a lie that you let them shape themselves. Cement doesn't shape itself. And here's why that's a lie. Someone will shape your children. Make sure it's you. Make sure you're handing them off to God. Because really they're just on loan to you. They belong to him. Make sure God is shaping them into who he wants them to be. He has a dream over their lives. There's one fundamental danger when we tell children, this is not neutral. Our world is telling them to follow their hearts and their dreams. There is one exceeding danger about telling children. It's not, it, it, it's not benign. It's not a throwaway piece of advice. There is a deep danger in telling children to believe in themselves, follow their heart, and never give up on their dreams. There is an exceeding danger to doing that. They put themselves on the throne. And they, they think that if they are in the dark places 
at night in the darkness that they're going to hear truth coming out of their hearts. How about the surging mental and emotional health and anxiety among our young adults and teenagers in this season? Should we let them follow the voices they're hearing coming up out of their, out of their hearts in the darkness? Introduce them to the still small voice that is their creator that loves them more than they can imagine. See, there's something greater that their life is to accomplish than just simply to believe in themselves. There's only one other place that the Bible talks about someone who has a robe dipped in blood. One is in Joseph, his robe, special robe dipped in blood. That's in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. The other one's in Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. Let me read to you what it says. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Who is this passage talking about? Jesus See, Joseph, the story of Joseph, if Joseph thought that his life was all about himself, all about his dreams, all about accomplishing what he wants to accomplish, all about what comes out of his heart, then he would believe that the point of his life was for himself. But the point of Joseph's life was to point to someone greater than him. That's what his life amounted to. The point of Joseph's life is to is to point to someone who was sent from the right hand of the Father to reach the, the tribes of Israel, to reach the, the people of Israel. They would be betrayed. They would sell someone for pieces of silver. He'd be thrown down into the pit, down into death, but he would be raised up to the right hand of the most powerful one in the universe. That is who Joseph points to, to Jesus Christ. His, amount, his life boils down and amounts to pointing to Jesus. When we tell children to believe in themselves, follow their hearts, believe in their dreams, they miss out on a greater calling to spend their lives pointing to someone greater than them, to Jesus. That is who they're to enjoy their life. That's who they're made for, to point the entire world to the only one that can save. The one by whom, by whose blood we are washed clean. The one that we will bow down and worship one day in heaven. Parents, foundational principle. Tell your children to wait for God's dream has over their life, to believe in God and never lose faith. And parents, whatever disappointment you're walking through, God has a dream for you. You might be in, right now in Potiphar's house or in a dungeon and wondering what happened to the dream that God has something special for you. Bring a smile to your father's face and keep waiting on him. He has a dream you can't imagine. Don't you want that to be true? Those of you who are here that are not sure you believe in God or believe in Jesus, don't you want it to be true that the almighty one of the universe made you and has a dream over you? Doesn't it sound like it'd be incredible that he would love you that much? It is true. His word says it's true. And it's only true because of the blood that Jesus shed for you. He went down to the pit and rose again so that you could be called a son or daughter of God. He has a dream over your life. Can you respond to him today? Can you give your life over? Surrender to him. Stop following your heart, your dreams, and surrender to someone far greater.
I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Many of you are here and you're saying, I'm ready to surrender to God. I don't want to listen to my heart. I want to listen to his voice, the voice that spoke the universe into existence. Are you ready to take that step? If you're ready, take, I want you just to silently, wherever you're at, sitting in Cooper City, sitting here at the West Pines campus, sitting in your house, just lift this prayer to God, just silently. Just He hears you. Just say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I surrender my dreams. I surrender control. I surrender trying to make it happen. I surrender to you. You are my Lord. I'll wait on you. I trust you. Because you saved me. You paid for my sins. You rose again. And I know you will rise. I will rise with you one day. In Jesus' name. that was your prayer just then if you're watching online I want you to go to cityrev.org slash faith let us know so we can send you a Bible and you can continue this journey with the Lord if you're here and that was your prayer I want you to get this Get Connected card and I want you to check the box that says you put your faith in Jesus for the first time take that card and put that in one of the offering boxes as you leave we want to just celebrate with you church we're going to close with a song where, it's where we lay down our hearts we don't listen to our hearts as if it's infallible. No, we lay down our hearts before him and we ask him to transform our hearts. And so let's stand. Would you stand with me? We're going to close with a song. Of Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.